0: This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning,
1: everyone. Good morning. Good to see all of you. Uh, anybody new here for the first time visitors? Good, welcome. Well, I guess we all have words that kind of resonate with us, and when we hear them, they sort of go... They make a little zinging sound in our head, and boundlessness is a word like that for me. When I hear that word, I, I just kind of straighten out a little bit. But that word is always closely followed by another word, which is hindrances, because I am very aware of all the my hindrances to living a boundless life. So that kind of gave me an idea for uh, my talk today, which I want to talk about the the five hindrances. These are the five hindrances straight from the Buddhist mouth many years ago. The Buddha talked about hindrances, uh, the five hindrances, way, way back in his early sutras and all, all through the Pali Canon. There are many references to them. I always wonder if the Buddha actually, you know, there's all these lists we hear, you know, from the Buddha. I, I don't know if the Buddha actually spoke in lists. I've always heard that the reason things are listed is because things weren't written down in Buddha's time and it was a number of years after he died that they started actually writing writing down what he said and so in order to remember what he said people would naturally make lists and so things got put down that way whether he actually talked in lists, I don't know maybe, I'm sure scholars know anyways here, here's what he said or the translation of what he said he said, bhikkhus there are these five obstructions hindrances, corruptions of the mind weakeners of wisdom what are these five the first one he said is sensual desire the second ill will the third sloth and torpor the fourth restlessness and remorse and the fifth doubt so in order to make those into a memorizable little list for myself i think of them in one word things so first i think desire ill will lethargy restlessness and doubt and they kind of come in pairs. And there's two pairs, at least, of course. The first two, desire and ill will, are opposites. That's our, that's our attachment and our aversion. And the second two, lethargy and restlessness. Lethargy is not enough energy, and restlessness, too much, too much caffeine. So, <laughs> uh, And then the doubt doesn't have a pair. So if you think of yourself or think of a human being as a flow of energy, sort of not unlike a river, a river of energy, the river will naturally keep flowing. But if the water is diverted by hindrances, the Buddha preached, it's eventually going to dry up. The river is going to eventually dry up. So the Buddha came up with a bunch of um, analogies um, for the hindrances. Uh, and In the Saragarava Sutra, he's, he compared sensual desire with looking for a clear reflection in water which was basically polluted. He compared ill will with boiling water. He compared, compared sloth and torpor with water that was covered with full of plants and algae. And he uh, compared restlessness and worry with wind churned water and doubt with muddy water. I find it useful to come up with your own when you really look at your hindrances. I I have my own that I think of. They feel most likely like to me. We all have unique relationships with our hindrances. We all have different, uh, we all have our favorites. (laughs) <laughs> and our our golden oldies, it just we play over and over again. <laughs> and it's important to know what our hindrances are and really get to the bottom of them. Our job is to get really familiar with them and be aware of all the havoc that they create in our in our lives and in, in our meditation. Oh, one of the analogies I thought of when I found out that Mel started. Um, where is it? There she is. <laughs> Did you start your job yet? Yep. All right, she just started a job at the Deep Eddy Counseling Center. So, I, so mm, what is lurking in the deep eddies of your river, of your river <laughs> energy? <laughs> so, the hindrances can be very complex and piled up on top of each other. You can have multi hindrance occasions occasions of won't be besieged by multiple hindrances at the same time and there are lots and lots of dharma talks out there on the web to listen to about hindrances it's a very favorite topic i used uh, i listened to gil fransdahls he has a lot he talks a lot about the five hindrances in a very compassionate way very helpful way so he's my mentor for this talk and i have a, a bunch of quotes from him so uh, i wanted to over overview these hindrances Uh, the first one being what the buddha called sensual desire this involves seeking for pleasure seeking for pleasure from the five senses or five senses of sound sight smell taste and physical feeling in other words in in, in looking for food sex comfort entertainment etc so you all know about the six, I think many of you know about the six realms of samsara, right? And the human realm is the one realm in which we can get enlightened by spending more of our time in the human realm. And, but the human realm is also called the realm of desire. This is because human beings are really pretty much the only creatures that, that uh, have desire. And we have a lot of it. Our I mean, I, I wonder how many times a day the average person says, "I want, I want." I mean, think about how many times you say that. We we want to eat. We want to exercise. We want to have fun. We want to be liked. We want to be useful. We want to be right. We <laughs> want to be respected. We want to have spiritual friends. We want to get some sleep. We want to get more of whatever we have that, that's that's good. You know, it's it's a it's it's our life, really. It's and. We're always wanting something. Uh, this complex mind of ours is what, you know because we have an imagination and we have a memory, we can make concepts. So we know what we don't have. We know what we see uh, around us as, as opposed to animals who really just pretty much can see what's in front of them. And of course, the animals want to eat, but they don't think of, of in terms of desiring to eat, they just eat. They want to have sex, and there's the right kind of animal around to have sex with. They have sex. They don't think about things like asking their owner if maybe they could get another pet so they won't be lonely. You know, they can't conceptualize a life different than what you know what they have. So we're uh, we're blessed with this wonderful mind of ours, and we're also bedeviled by it many times. And only with working with it is the way we can find out, find enlightenment. So um, desires aren't problems to overcome. However, when desires come up, there are some questions that they need, need need to be asked. First of all, is the desire healthy? Is it a healthy desire that you're you're feeling? Is it an appropriate desire? And most importantly, does the desire have a hold on you over you? Is it a di- desire that's charged with compulsive or some kind of a, you know, some kind of a compulsive element, however however weak or strong that may be? So um, compulsive, the compulsive aspects to our wanting of things can, can really bind us. It can even, it can be as strong and be an addiction or it can just be something that wastes a lot of our time and energy thinking about distracting us from meditation distracting us from seeing what's right in front of us so watching, watch your desires feel the fire that they create when a strong compulsion comes up just sit still with it and wait for it to crest sometimes you just have to watch a desire until you get sick of it that is a desire maybe an unhealthy desire or a, a compulsive desire and of course you need to step outside of it Stepping outside of desire means watching what your mind is doing with it, rather than watching what you know, what, than thinking about the object of desire. Thinking of just <coughs> stepping outside, and watching how your mind is dealing with this this um, obstruction. And Gil Fronstel had a nice quote. He said, "But always go at the speed of love. Don't try to not trying to squish our squish our desires or shove them out of the way rudely we just want to watch them get very familiar with them now another kind of desire or another thing maybe to ask about a desire is is it a rational desire i don't know about you but some a lot of times we just want something because we don't have it i think uh, wanting things is a lot more exciting than having them actually (laughs) I remember when I was in music school, I I didn't have any money, I was living on savings, and um, I really wanted a grand piano, I wanted a grand piano so bad I could taste it, and
2: uh, you know, I got out of
1: school and I went back to my profession, and made enough money that I could easily afford one. didn't have any interest in it anymore. It was too big, took up too much room, was too heavy. I wasn't that good a pianist. It didn't seem right that I should be playing such a wonderful piano. So, you know, it just, it, it, and I've never gotten one. I mean, it's, it was, it's weird to see how much I wanted it when I couldn't have it. So, um, when I think about desire, the Buddha uh, compared desire uh, to polluted, polluted water. I think of more like kind of a drain, kind of a drain on the bottom of the river, sort of a a black hole that just sucks in, um, sucks in my energy. All right, so hindrance number two is ill will. Now the the Pali word for this hindrance is apada, and apada means ill will. But it has many other names, because this is basically our aversion, so many names, as anger, fury, rage, resentment, indignation, discontent, grudge, having a grudge, being spiteful, complaining, all these things are different ways of of, uh, experiencing the second hindrance. For me, uh, an an aversion is the second hindrance, the ill will, is my biggest uh, obstruction. It's a huge smotherer of boundlessness because it creates walls, and we it creates walls around us. So that's what how I vision. I envision uh, ill will is like a wall, like a walling myself in. I wall myself away, uh, off from people that I don't like, and I wall myself off from experiences I'm afraid of. I wall myself off from things that make me uncomfortable, and. Uh, you know, if I don't watch it, I can be uh, pretty walled off and pretty lonely and pretty much in hell. So dealing with uh, ill will, questions to ask are, what is this doing for me? Why am I harboring ill will against a certain person or against a, uh, some experience? What, what is it doing for me? Is it protecting me? So sometimes holding Ill, Ill will against people is pretty interesting we can come up with all kinds of reasons why we might want to decide that somebody should be banned from our life uh, for me I know when I was growing up I, I decided I, de- I developed quite uh, a, a hatred for my father I uh, petted this uh, feeling and I and I cultivated it and very strongly I am I can still remember feeling that I was getting revenge. I was getting revenge against my father by hating him, mm. and uh, we all know where that goes. Mm. And we end up being the only one that's really hurt. Messed me up pretty bad. By the time I got in my twenties, I was a mess, and I was fortunate that I was able to turn that around when I was in my twenties and, and make peace with my father had a good relationship with them the rest of my life, but I think it's so interesting to watch how I, how I cultivated that growing up. And I see other people doing that too, especially in my family. So, you know, what what is a, what is a aversion doing for me? What, what is it costing me? And a lot of times we don't see, we don't see how we're hurting ourselves. I certainly didn't see how I was hurting myself and my hatred of my father. We don't see how painful it it is to shut ourselves off. There's only so many people you can cross off your list before you're pretty much alone. But the interesting thing about both aversion and desire is that they generate a lot of energy and a lot of excitement, right? It's kind of exciting to hate people (laughs) for a little while. (laughs) <laughs> you think about uh, get them <laughs> and it can be entertaining uh, and I already mentioned how it can feel like revenge uh, so Gil Fransdell calls he calls these two um, hindrances he calls them both caffeine which I thought was brilliant they are they do act like mm. caffeine on it that give us energy but he said something I thought was really wonderful he said, "Being with the dynamics of your own aversion is such a contribution to the world." You know, I think about that. You know, I think what if what if Putin were able to be in touch with his aversion? What was what if Hitler had been able to be in touch with his aversion, to understand it, and where it was coming from, and seeing how he was generating it himself? What were certain politicians in our country? how different things would be if they could be touched by what they were doing to themselves and to the world. And so in smaller ways, that's true of all of us that we make a big difference by working with our own aversion. So I'm finishing up with desire and ill will. One, one thing to notice during meditation when your attention is pulled away from your breath, it's always nice to notice what pulled it away. And it's always nice to notice what sucked you away from, from being present. Um, for just is it, is it desire? Is it something you're longing for? Or is it something you're you were, uh, wishing would go away? Is it something you're being averse, aversive with? It's always very good to notice that. of course both desire and ill will are part of the three poisons attachment, aversion, and delusion just a little aside about the three poisons attachment, aversion, and delusion Uh, I was very interested in reading Pema Children's latest book about how you live is how you die anybody read that? it's very interesting and it's very different from our other books because she actually talks about Tibetan uh, Tibetan philosophy and Tibetans have two additional poisons I, I really like them jealousy and greed now we stick jealousy in with aversion and we stick and I'm sorry jealousy and pride jealousy and pride are the two extra ones now we stick jealousy in with aversion and we stick pride in with attachment because it's an extreme attachment to ourselves but uh, I, I liked paying attention to those two extra things because they're they're pretty big in my life I know so if we can be independent of desire and ill will if we can step out the more we can step outside of them the more we render them non-hindering maybe inconvenient but not really hindering us if we can stay if we can step outside of them and and not get focused too much on the objects of desire or the object of ill will okay now, the the last three hindrances are a little more complicated, and they're more like composite composites, I think. Uh, the third hindrance is what was translated from the Buddha as sloth and torpor, which I'm calling lethargy, really. Sloth is an old-fashioned word, and I'm sure it was translated probably during the Victorian period or something. Sloth, maybe, my converted catholic or something because sloth is one of the seven deadly sins and it generally kind of implies laziness or just not living and not you know fulfilling your commitments but lazy is an interesting it's not a word that I, i find used in buddhism very much because i don't think anybody is inherently lazy we're all like we're all energy that's what we are So if you encounter somebody that you consider lazy, think about what hindrances they might be undergoing that's causing them to lose their energy. Or maybe they just have different things that they think are important than what you think are important. At any rate, laziness is, uh, I think, a a misnomer. It doesn't really exist, like blame doesn't really exist. And you know the animal that's called a sloth. Sloth. I guess that's where we get the word sloth. It's from the animal sloth. It isn't lazy. It's just very low energy, and it moves very slow. There's one in the San Antonio Zoo. It's very slow. The reason it's so slow is that it eats food that doesn't have much nutritional value. So, why such a creature exists, I'm not sure. Why does any creature exist? Uh, but it's not lazy it's not even slothful <laughs> so using the word lethargy for this particular hindrance it's funny I'm not, I'm not so sure that lethargy itself is the hindrance it's the things that are underneath the lethargy that make it the hindrance but it shows up on our cushion as extreme tiredness trying to control our yawning just wanting to be in bed so bad or wanting to just be somewhere else so bad that we're just totally tuned out. Gil, I think, made a a, a nice observation saying that sometimes the reason, especially in meditation, for having uh, lethargy is the absence of the caffeine of desire and aversion. So we've sort of put our desire and our ill will a, a bit at rest We're watching our breathing we're not feeling the excitement of we're not allowing ourselves to expel that excitement of ill will and desire and so we get kind of torpid and just lose, lose our energy because we're so dependent on that caffeine and i i, I see that myself another thing is boredom and boredom is one of those things like laziness. There's really nothing in the world that is inherently boring. I mean this, this life is just so full of incredible things. And so boredom is created by our own mind. So when you feel bored, ask yourself, what is it you're not what is it you're not connecting with? What is it you're not paying attention to? I remember Barbara Cohn uh, wrote on my the back of my first rakasu, every time you see it you'll see it new and I've, I always remember those words I don't know I I drive home frequently the same route, but every time I drive it, it looks different. So just remember boredom is created in your own mind. Is't that empowering uh, Another thing another cause of, of uh, lethargy is uh, resistance to something avoiding something that you don't want to face sometimes it's hard to find what that is but do remember that energy is always available to us we always have energy available and always maybe it just takes a slight little adjustment a one degree turn to hook into it okay the fourth hindrance is restlessness and worry the inability to calm the mind and focus one's energy. You may be one of these people. A lot of people have a lot of trouble sitting still. I knew this woman once who, um, she taught in prison with me, and she had a really hard time sitting still. And she was learning to meditate by adding one minute a week to her sitting. But she really persevered, and she became a, a teacher who counsels people in meditation. But she just really worked at it and added one minute a week. But even those of us who, you know, are are fine with sitting still have periods of restlessness. So this restlessness is this feeling of a wind turned water. I, uh, restlessness and, and anxiety and uh, worry are also a part of this and, and worry, as you know is uh, kind of going over and over again the same thoughts kind of um, ruminating so it's more like chewing on a bone i know this hindrance is my my second biggest hindrance I don't feel it so much sitting on the cushion. I don't usually have too much restlessness while meditating, but boy, it plays a big part in my life. One time, one thing I did figure out, and I'm not sure which hindrance this, this falls under, but a lot of times, I think restlessness is one that will happen with me. And I found out a long time ago that this, I would have this uncomfortable feeling like restlessness. Usually it would happen when there was something I wasn't doing that I was supposed to do. Either that something I had determined my, for myself I needed to do, or, or someone else wanted me to do something, or I needed, I had some responsibility I was supposed to fulfill, and I just kept putting it off because I was scared or whatever, whatever was going on. And I found out that it would work and it would show up in some, some kind of uncomfortableness that... I mean, and just not not feeling right. And sometimes this would last for a while before I would realize what it was. As I've gotten older, I don't do that anymore because you know what, when you get older, you don't have too much time. So if you come up with something you should do or you want to do, you better do it because you know, you know, that's one of the blessings of growing old—you get more efficient. Uh, a lot of times, uh, if you're a person and who isn't a person that does a lot of comparing, comparing ourselves to others? You know, always coming up with a hierarchy. That, of course, can add up to a lot of restlessness, a lot of striving to please yourself or trying to please others. Oh yeah, and, and and trust, not trusting, not trusting the goodness of people, the inherent goodness in people, and not trusting that other people can. Um, take care of you. I mean, you are not you don't have to do it all. The most satisfying way to live is to be open to help from other people. And also important putting too much importance on our on our own endeavors, you know, taking ourselves too seriously. Okay, so that's all me and that's my my other hindrance. Well, they're all, all five hindrances are mine, but those two are big. <laughs> The hindrance, the fifth hindrance, the last hindrance is, is this one of doubt, uh, which means lack of conviction, lack of conviction in your practice, la- lack of belief in yourself. And the thing about doubt it is it comes it comes disguised as having a tremendous authority. So our doubt has a tremendous authority over us, as you probably know if you spent much time doubting. Sometimes uh, having doubt is, uh, well first of all, there's, there's hindering doubt, the kind we're talking about, which shuts us down. And there's also questioning doubt, which opens us up, you know, being open to what this doubt you're feeling, it, it may be a healthy doubt, in other words, rather than just succumbing to whatever you've decided about yourself or decided about this practice. So we we question, some people question their practice all the time. Should I have this, is this the right practice for me or should I have another one? Maybe I'll go try another one for a while and see if that works. Or maybe I need a different teacher, or should I sit less, should I sit more? Can I do this? You know, so all these questions. So if we spend enough time asking asking ourselves lots of questions about our practice and about our place here, we can avoid doing just about any practice that way. (laughs) So, yeah, sometimes uh, uh, raising doubt, raising this hindering doubt, is a, a strategy of our mind uh, which helps us avoid any kind of commitment. And we can just keep moving back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and uh, instead of just you know, and looking at right, what, what's right in front of us. Another cause of doubt is having goals that are too lofty, too. And again, so where does the energy go when we lose the connection with ourselves but it doesn't really go anywhere it's still here our energy is always here we just need to make an adjustment connect with it all right so those are the five a very 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 quick overview of the five hindrances of the buddhas one thing that occurred to me um, yesterday i was seeing i meditated yesterday morning here and i, I got very sad i felt very sad about The situation in my family that's been ongoing for most of my life, I guess, and it just seems to be what it is, you know. uh, Human beings being, and myself being, feeling ill will and not being able to get along, and I felt very sad and cut off. Maybe it was about my brother, I think, but I, I felt very sad. And I, but I noticed that, you know, feeling sad. This feeling of sadness was not a hindrance. In fact, it seemed like my meditation was deeper than usual. And so it's interesting that fear and sadness, which are at the bottom of so many of these hindrances, is fear and sadness. That's what drives most of our ill will, for sure. Maybe not so much desire, but, but it's so important in causing hindrance, but yet it's really not listed as a hindrance because when we really can look at our sadness and we can allow ourselves to feel it and feel our fear, we're not covering up with anything. And an interesting thing, according to Gill, is that the Pali word for hindrance is Nivarana, Nivarana, N-I-V-A-R-A-N-A, and that means to cover over. So hindrances are a covering over of What we don't want to feel, which is usually fear and sadness. So we've got this mind. This mind is, I don't know, I think of my mind like this vessel, I guess, (laughs) sort of a big bowl, and it's it's filled with content. And the content is all these thoughts and hindrances and um, all the stuff that we, we focus on. So the way to deal with with hindrances and with all is to somehow get out of that get out of that bowl and look at it and watch it and see how it deals with uh, or see what it's doing, see what it's doing to us and for us. And don't forget all that stuff. Remember this is one of Kokio Henkel's points a few weeks ago is all that stuff, all these hindrances, all these all the stuff we generate is still a part of our Buddha nature and if we didn't have it to wrestle with if we if we didn't have it to wrestle with well I don't know. if we didn't have it to wrestle with there <laughs> wouldn't be uh would be much <laughs> there wouldn't be any light there'd be only darkness or there'd only be darkness and no light or there wouldn't be any forward foot or a backward foot there'd only be one foot there'd not be, be silence without or there'll only be sound, or there'll only be silence. There'll only be part of the equation at any rate. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of hard to comprehend a life without all this stuff we generate. So that's all I've got to say. <laughs> now it's your turn to talk, if you would like. If okay, anybody has any comments or thoughts <laughs> or. <Sorry. laughs> for to reveal what their particular hindrances are. Um, let see, I'm not sure who raised her hand for herself. Right? Uh,
0: so what do these hindrances stop us from doing?
1: What do they stop us from doing? Well, they stop us from experiencing uh, a full life, you know? I mean, we live in a world of endless possibilities, but um, hindrances shut us down, so we, we don't really, really, really see those, those possibilities. Thank you. I wish I could think of a concrete example. <laughs> uh, when they they kill our, our warmth maybe for other people, you know, having for ill will towards people, especially because I think that's a pretty big one for a lot of people, ill will feeling ill will for other people. And so you don't get to experience the warmth and the uh, you know, the connection. What's connection.
0: Connection.
1: Connection. Yeah, right. Good work. So you don't get the warmth of that connection, you cut that off. So it's just is one of many, many examples. But I mean, the Buddha. I think. I think what he was heading towards when he listed those was talking specifically about meditation. How does it interfere with your meditation? Which you know, so that's also uh, they waste a lot of time. You know, meditation is about being present and and being and, and kind of well feeling connection. You know, those are kind the of things that comes in meditation. And uh, if you're if you're sitting there. Struggling with some desire for some irrational thing, you're, you're, or you're, you know, um, in some kind of compulsive feeling, you, you're, you lose that. Thank you. Thanks for asking. And then I think you have a question. Thank you. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Dear community and dear
1: papa, thank you so
3: much for the beautiful talk. Oh. Um, I guess my question is. How can we, as practitioners, like connect and use the sangha
1: to support um, working with these hindrances? That's a great question. Great question. Exploring them with other people. This is a great place because it's a safe place. It's a safe place to make mistakes and. And, you know there's a lot of models that uh, other other people are modeling things that, uh, that you can pick up on I don't know I experience a lot of magical things happen here because people are coming together with this uh, this kind of the same idea of dealing with their own minds and and so I see things happen here that don't happen out in the business world or you know out in uh, merchandising or you know I, I see I see people caring about each other and what that does and how that makes things happen that don't happen other places so what's that I think you had your hand up first um, I had a question
0: about the the first hindrance um, desire you mentioned um, the first things you mentioned were is it is it healthy and is it appropriate And I guess my question <laughs> is is I mean more of a statement. I think that that probably varies from person to person. The definition is healthy or appropriate, but I guess what do you, or what does Buddhism see as being, as coming up with a definition? Is it sort of you being a teacher and and figuring that out? The third thing you said, which is you know, does it have a hold on you? I think that's a lot easier to understand Mm, um, and really kind of that's you know something I can latch on to and say that this is, this is have control over me and I can, I can latch on to that and really um, you know look look closely and, and through that scope. But I guess the thing I'm curious more about is the first things you said and, ha- and how do you advise on kind of like coming up with because you know, your culture, your background, your you know all of those things kind of play into how you would define that, I suppose.
1: So, like, what's healthy and what's appropriate? Is that
0: right? Like, you know, how do you how do you come up with a definition for that? I know that with other religions, it's like they like to tell you what that is, and I think there's there's issues right. that come up with that.
1: No dancing, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I, I I don't think it's too hard to see what's healthy. If 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 it hmm, it is kind of hard to answer that question. I mean some things are really obvious obviously eating a pint of ice cream is not healthy because it well' it's not good for your body you know so a lot of food things are easy to see. would well, could be a good benchmark of what, what's healthy I know that I, I know that there's a, some really good answers to this, but I they're not coming to me right now uh, if, if anybody <laughs> wants to help. Mm-hmm. Yes, this one.
0: Yeah, sometimes I like to see how it makes me feel afterward. Like, um,
1: maybe in the moment I really want the ice cream, and the moment it's really good, but then afterward my belly hurts and mm-hmm. my energy is zapped. And so it's how do I feel after sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I think anything that. Well, was yeah. you somebody mentioned? Oh, it was you. I mentioned connection. I mean, there, there's a there's a does this. Desire foster connection or not—that that would be a one a sign of, of a healthy, a healthy uh, desire. Some people, you know, have a big desire to be famous or rich, but those particular desires actually end up causing lack of connection. Because if you're rich, you don't have to ask anybody for help. You know, you're you've made yourself independent, but independence has a big price and. Uh, you know fame's kind of the same way uh, if you don't handle it right and that doesn't mean that anybody that's famous is not connected but uh, there are a lot of people that seek fame so much that they've isolate you know they have created themselves as a you know a being that's sort of better than everybody else and, and you know and they're they're disconnected so that's a, a kind of a um, something to watch sometimes it's just what you've Knowing what you feel like, well, like Crystal mentioned, that what you feel like after you eat ice cream, what you feel like after you get whatever it is you want, and um, you, know, you find out that uh, it has separated you more from life. I mean, that sounds kind of vague, but we don't want to be separate from life, I guess. Uh, is that is a that that's that's okay. Ernest? Yeah, I'm interested about doubt. Last oh, doubt, yeah. Because there's not an opposite here. There's not a what?
3: There's not an opposite. The other four kind of have an opposite. Right. To each other, but uh, doubt
1: doesn't seem to. Your engineering mind wants to have it wants to have it, <laughs> it to have it an opposite. <laughs> oh, isn't faith the opposite? Hey, yeah, <laughs> right. Maybe and that's not faith. exactly a hindrance. Although I guess blind faith could be a, a could be a, a good opposite for it. Couldn't it? Yeah. Uh, or just believing anything anybody tells you? Uh, but the Buddha didn't didn't say that. <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> okay, I forget your name. Oh, I ask you that every time I see you. Again? <laughs> so
3: you're touching on pride, particularly interesting to me. On one hand, I see pride as boastfulness, as, you know, just being full of oneself. And then on the other hand, I see pride being used as a term that is connected to valuing oneself oh. mm-hmm. and, you know, putting a putting value in our identity. Mm-hmm. And We live in a world where not all identities are valued, such as, you know, pretty much everybody who comes from a colonized environment, our identities were suppressed and we were pushed to assimilate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Gender identities are not all equally valued and we struggle with this aspect of pride of being authentic and bringing that to the surface and yet that does in many ways become a hindrance both ways if we don't struggle if we don't bring ourselves to this authentic being and functioning in society authentically as who we are or if we repress our mm-hmm. identities. Mm-hmm. So the pride concept is a really hard one right now for me to <clears> navigate, <throat> navigate because I'm tired of mm. being assimilated.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe it's just a matter of a word, a word, using the word "pride" being used in two different ways, and I, I don't, I don't think the Buddha meant for anybody to feel repressed or or overlooked, or I um, don't. Think that's where he was going at all he's just talking about uh, you know the feelings that somehow you're more important than you're more special more important than other people you know um, yeah but i'm glad you brought that up uh, it's easy to words can really trip us up uh, thank you
4: yeah so yeah. there's ideas that are like trying to connect i think um from Ernest's observation, maybe the the opposite it would be acceptance, right? The doubt, acceptance, the, this, under, you know, openness to whatever's there is what's there. It's all it's all in, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. Did you hear that acceptance it might be a good opposite? Because especially when you're talking doubt in yourself, mm-hmm. and acceptance of ourself is so important. So. That that's a good one. But that's not a hindrance, though, right? When so it's always not in the list. It connects with the, the
4: pre-application pre- point. That it does. Pride is not necessarily... You don't have to confuse it or, or, or uh, overdo, but it's, it's an acceptance of our own place. Yeah, yeah okay. And doubt can be applied to ourselves or, or not. right? right. Are, are we where we need to be? Do we belong here? Do we fit? That, mm-hmm. that sort of doubt acceptance that we... We we belong we're where we're supposed to be. We have everything we need. Right? It includes yeah. includes the identity that we, you know,
1: that makes us us. Yeah, that's a great word. So acceptance, of another word, word that's right often of. used is trust. Instead of faith, has this kind of balance for us in English, and maybe because of our any religious background we may have. You know, faith is like not questioning, just accept it. But the Buddha taught questioning, so we can have faith though faith in the community you know faith in the path even when we're not so sure <laughs> yeah, I like the I like, word I faith like, you Yeah, know. I like the trust just to trust let go and trust and then when you're disappointed trust again <laughs> <laughs> and I like accepting. yeah it's a good one too thanks yeah
2: that's uh, thanks for your talk um I like that word that... could you repeat it? The Pali word for hindrances? And
1: um, oh, Nivirana. N- N-I-V-A-R-A-N-A, N-I- Nivirana. I
2: have to bug you after, write it down, uh, <laughs> so I can google it.
1: It sounds almost like Nirvana. It does. Which is kind of its opposite, sort of.
2: So. I, had, I had this thought, so I'm gonna... I'm gonna I think I'm going to try to take that away from this talk because I had the, when you said that I had this kind of. How was it you started the talk? You said certain words, kind of rattle you.
1: Oh. Yeah, that one I'm kind looking, of yeah.
2: that one kind of rattled me. Um, oh. Yeah. Do you think
1: Niverana?
2: Niverana, because I was like, it seems to me hindrances aren't really going anywhere, at least so far. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: I can't, hindrances aren't. I can't long. seem to get rid of them.
1: These oh, things, okay. <laughs> Oh, but maybe you're you could get rid of them.
2: <laughs> well no, I think the word is like talking about how I relate to hindrances. It's like if am I covering them up? Like that's oh, a, you're like, covering
1: up, yeah. yeah you're covering like, up you're hindered. I see. Like
2: okay. being hindered about my hindrances. And I'm like I'm like what I'm asking myself, like, is enlightenment how I relate to hindrances? Okay. I don't know. That's just what. That, that's sort of the question I'm asking.
1: <laughs> Ask it again.
2: Is enlightenment how I relate to my own hindrances? Like like Nivirana has this quality of like openness, like being open to actually seeing my own hindrances. I think that's how you started. And it's like if I can, if I'm well, sort of well, aware.
1: Nivarana means to cover up. So. yeah,
2: the um, right, but it's sort of pointing to not Like it's pointing to knock to me anyway. It's like well, what's what's not covering up, it's being open
1: to. Oh, okay, so yeah. So instead of thinking of hindrances, you think of covering, covering up, of, you know, filling the mind with a yeah. bunch of black smoke and obscuring, obscuring.
2: Yeah, I think, well, yeah, that's sort of what I was like, when that word, when he said it was like, oh, that's what hindrances are, Is sort of covering up what's happening.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, but they sort of evaporate if I can just see them. Yeah, Like, oh, I'm, you know,
1: yeah. this is... Shoot them with a gun and they evaporate. Well,
2: they, I, just, well you know. they sort of lose their hold. I mean, I'm, so I'm a desire fiend.
1: Oh, you're I, a desire fiend. Oh, confession, yeah. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I'll
2: help myself. But, like, it um, seems like that if... Um, seeing that in operation maybe not so bad if, if I'm actually like aware of what's what's happening. Yeah,
1: well desire, yeah there's lots of hidden <clears throat> desires that really can, you know, we, we don't know that they're operating in our lives they can drive us into a, the ground, you know. Yeah. Maybe a desire to be liked too much or a desire to be uh, important, or a desire to be famous because all desires so we want to blast away yeah it's
2: like what what are, what are they covering up that's the like that's like the the, the question oh again okay, i'm saying the desire
1: itself might be covered up might be covered but
2: yeah yeah i mean yeah. well because there's no getting rid of it as a human being so it's like seems to so far anyway i seem to be full of these things so if, if i'm sort of like able to through lots of sasa and just observe like this whatever the desire is okay, I'm kind of understanding yes. you more
1: so yes uh, right it, you may not get rid of the desire it, it may it may always be there but the fact that you can look at it and see it it's not, not covered up anymore yeah you can get under the covers and see it yeah. and when you can mm-hmm. see it you are in charge you know, it's not in charge anymore yeah no because yeah because we have this innate wisdom in us that sees the sees the harm that a certain kind of desire can have, and yeah. So when we can see that, we get under the covers, we uncover it. And Maybe
2: there's good desires, like the desire to oh, have yeah, openness. Sure. I don't know
1: plenty of good desires. I mean,
2: yeah. Well, yeah I mean, that, that's we're made of those.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it, anyway, it, that's what I'm wrestling with. Okay. So, thank good you. wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for your unique, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for my covering up. <laughs> Does anybody else have anything that's we're after? I guess it's time to have tea and coffee or tea and um, cookies. So, well, thanks everybody for being here. Enjoy. Thank you for the